Welcome to the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. Our goal is to serve and encourage you as you build a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as we study the Word of God together in this week's episode. who weren't here two weeks ago um <clears throat> we first i'm trying to get everything recorded now so that we can get a podcast up and running so that we're not missing out on things and so that it's just another way to promote the church and get it out to the community for people to hear it so um last week we did finish psalm 103 we kind of hit the fast forward button we started in verse 13 which talks about god being a loving and compassionate father um, to us as his children. And we went through the last little bit of it that talks largely about worship and praise. And we might come back to that eventually. Maybe we'll do a series on worship. Or um, if you guys want to study the end of Psalm 103 and you feel like one of you guys feels like you have something to add or something to talk about, let me know so that we can get you here teaching on a Wednesday. Um, totally fine. But I, I've been really... Um, just challenged as I've been going through scripture again recently and just looking at the idea of God as a father and this being the first year that we're a church, one of the things that I think is important is that we keep the vision simple and that we keep revisiting it. And the biggest part of the vision that God has given us is that we are supposed to build a family here at HPCC. That's why we circle up. If the board would let us, we would have couches in here. We would deck it out like a living room, and it would be really nice. Unfortunately, there are other churches and other other uh, ministries and things that meet in here, so they won't let us do that yet. Um, but we're still believing for it eventually. So last week, we kind of went back through and really started to look at what Jesus said about the Father and why it's important to have a relationship with the Father. <clears throat> and not just Jesus, and not just the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, going to more traditional Protestant churches, we don't hear a lot about the Holy Spirit. Going to, honestly, some charismatic churches, we don't hear a lot about Jesus. But one of the things that I see that is a big theme amongst all churches is that we don't always talk about the Father enough. And even though a lot of churches know how to pray to the Father, and they'll use the words Father God or Abba God, in their prayer life, they don't actually really know what it means. And sometimes while they're praying, it's like they're playing, it's like uh, they're having this episode of spiritual Tourette's where it's like whatever names that they can call God and the Godhead throughout the prayer, they think that that's going to be the magic word that gets their, their prayers answered. Um, and that's just not what Jesus said. So, and we're going to talk a little bit more um, about that moving forward because I have like longer explanations of a lot of that stuff. Last week we did a big overview um, of what Jesus said in the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of John and Matthew. Um, Tonight, I want to list, I have six, hopefully we get to all six. I have six benefits of knowing the Father, Um, because I just really felt like tonight we were supposed to focus on uh, different aspects of like what we get out of the equation, because 
Whether we realize it or not, God loves to bless his children. Um, Hebrews 11 says that uh, without faith it is impossible to please God and all those who do believe must believe that he is also a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so tonight, uh, last week, you know, we kind of talked about, a, like I said, a brief summary of, of why we seek the Father, why we go after him, why we talk to him. Tonight, I kind of want to look at six different uh, results or benefits of knowing him and of talking to him. And these aren't all six. There are plenty more. Um, these were just the ones that I think are prevalent, um, that I've prayed about a lot and have been a big benefit to me. Um, as I've gone through things. And so, again, um, the last thing that I want to do as we move forward about this, the Father is just, Abba is so vast. He's so awesome. He's so good. Um, and so as we're going through this, eventually my goal is to get to um, a verse in Exodus that really defines his character. Uh, and, and we're going to get there, but there's, there are other things that I want to cover before we get there. And so I want to encourage you guys as well. Like, if there's something that God is teaching you about Himself as we're going through this, and we need to take a Wednesday to stop because you want to teach on something that God's been revealing to you, let's do it. Because there are things that I miss in Scripture all the time, and there are personal experiences that you guys are going to have with Him that I just am not because I'm not you. And the more that we testify to his goodness, um, testimony is the spirit of prophecy. So the more we testify, the more we build this atmosphere of expectancy, the more signs, wonders, and miracles we're going to have, the bigger umbrella that we're going to create with the Holy Spirit. And so the easier it's going to be to minister to people as they come in because the Holy Spirit's already going to be here in such a manifest way that I mean, we're hardly going to have to do anything. And that's like what I would love to see is that we build such an atmosphere here of praise and worship because God resides on the praises of his people that his sovereignty takes over as people step in or as they get into our presence so that we really don't have to say anything. It's all about God being God and, and doing what he does best, right? Um, so I'm going to take a sip of this water and I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into it. All right, so, Abba, we just thank you again. Um, we come before you. We thank you that you are a good and loving Father, that Jesus said that when he leaves, that we get to pray to you in his name, and that you will answer our prayers and our joy will be made full. Uh, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for what your word says. Your word is Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. We thank you for what your word says about you as the Father, as uh the head of the Godhead, um, if you will, um, the head of Christ, uh, which means you're far above and beyond us. So we just thank you again that you are good, that you are loving, um, and you are also just. And we thank you for the rewards we get for being with you and for seeking you. And uh, we love you, and we give you all the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so benefit number one of knowing the Father. Um, I think this one is probably, in my mind, the most important. It may not be the first step in everything, but in my mind, it is the most important. Um, and it is a sense of identity. Um, I believe in this idea so much that in my early years of, of ministry, 
talking about who we were in Christ was pretty much the only message I had. I was a broken record on repeat all the time. Um, my ideas of that have expanded and eventually, because we're talking about family and because we're talking about the Father, uh, there will be nat a natural progression into who we are as His children and we're, we're going to get there. But we, we want to take it a step at a time because we want to make sure that our, uh, our foundations are set and ready and firm. Um, because the last thing, and maybe we will at some point, I don't know, but the last thing that I want to do uh, is to get five or six years down the road and then us have to rip up foundations that like are rocky or rotten or have to go back under the house and build foundations that we didn't lay in the first place. So um, we'll get there when we get there. But I, it is such a huge benefit. Um, in the Bible, everyone is identified by who their father is in the Old Testament. Uh, this idea of identity and knowing where you come from and knowing whose you are is so important that it is what starts the book of Matthew. It is so important that Luke sets aside a chapter to talk about it. Um, and it is so important that in First and Second Chronicles, in Kings, in Exodus, in uh, numbers in Genesis. I mean, we can list so many different lists in the Bible talking about descendants and who their fathers are. Um, and I think that this is important because father, when we talk about sociology and studying sociology as a, as a subject in school, what sociologists have found is that fathers are the primary source of a child's identity. Um, and this is, I mean, this is such a big deal, um, that we, we see throughout, uh, the jails. Um, let me see if I can find my little statistic here. So this is such a big deal, um, that we, we, we see that statistically speaking, 95% of prisoners didn't know their fathers. And if they did, they hated them. Um, and 80 to 90% of, of people who have been in jail, um, no, I'm sorry, 80 to 90% of people in general throughout the world um, have never heard their father say, I love you. And if they have, they never showed it. Um, you know, I, I've been in, I'm not going to do this tonight because, well, I don't feel the need to, but I've been in church services where I've, where I've said that and I've, I've actually like, Ask the crowd, like, hey, how many of you heard your dads tell you that you loved you, that they loved you and meant it and you believed them? And it's like, you know, less than 10 people raise their hands typically. Um, this is a serious issue. And in fact, we are living in the, uh, the greatest era of fatherlessness that we have ever lived in um, as a country. Uh, and there have been other areas of fatherlessness in the past because we've been, I mean, for the most part, the United States has been at war like once or twice every hundred years, right? Like that's, that's a part of our history. We, we haven't been around for very long. And there have been time periods where there's been a, a, a huge issue of fatherlessness. The reason why this is the worst period of fatherlessness in our history is because it's not because we're at war. It's because fathers are willingly leaving their children and wanting nothing to do with them. This isn't, this isn't an issue of, of, uh, of morality in the sense that like we have to go out to war, we have to protect the country, we have to protect our women and children. No, this is, they just don't care. 
Um, and I think a lot of it has been because we have had so many seasons of fatherlessness as a country that our young men just keep growing up without fathers. And because they don't know what it's like to have a good and loving father, they don't know what it's like to be a good and loving father or even know what the true importance of it is. Um, and so this issue of identity is, is a big thing that we're going to have to come, uh, overcome even here. You know, we're, we're in this time period where, uh, it seems like the news and politics are making it out to be black versus white. Um, you know, uh, Asians versus everyone, it seems like. Um, and it's, it's all about dividing factors and throwing out any label that we can in order to see what's going to stick and what's going to become people's identity. And people identify with the labels. But the only label that God wants us to identify as is being His sons. That is the start of everything. That is where our identity starts. Um, and honestly, that's it. That is where that is the most important starting point. There's, there are other aspects to our identity in Christ. I don't want to downplay that, but the most important one, the, our starting point, is that of a son. As we learn that we are sons, you know, depending on your theology behind the Song of Solomon, we can say, and, you know, the rest of Scripture, we can say that we're the bride of Christ. Um, some people don't believe that. Some people do. There are a lot of the theological things about that. I'm not going to get into that. So I'm going to say, if you do want to believe that, which I do, that's great. Um, but sons are the are the starting point, you know. Um, and then we're a priesthood. We are God's royal priests. We're His kings and priests. That's the second big part of our identity. Um, and then the third thing is servants. Um, and so as we go through life. We need God to be filling us with those identities and letting Him be the thing that is uh, sufficient for us. Um, because until He becomes sufficient for us, we're always going to be grasping at straws of who we are and who we aren't. We're always going to be throwing things at the wall to see what's going to stick. And we're never going to have a sense of purpose. And because we have no sense of purpose, we lose all motivation to serve the people around us. And so rather than serving as a loving servant, we end up wanting to take control and rule as kings. And although we are kings, and that's a big point that, that we are, especially in the millennium, we'll be ruling, you know, alongside Jesus. Um, we are not called to rule that way now. We are called to serve. And as we go through scripture, we see that the people who had the most influence were servants. Um, you look at uh, Joseph, you look at Daniel, man, like what I, what I wouldn't give for, for us to become a church of Joseph's and Daniel's in Highland Park and serve Highland Park in that regard. What influence we would have here, even if it just stays us and no one from the community comes in. Hey, man, at least they're letting us serve them and give them the gospel and, and, and like take care of them person by person. Right now, I don't believe that that is what's going to happen. But if we take on that heart of a servant. Then if that is all that happens because God is sufficient for us, then that's all that matters. Right? Um, so, uh, what I think is really interesting is that uh, in the generations that have come before us, we have the X generation. Um, and what I think is interesting about that is, you know, 
thinking about Generation X and how Generation X grew up during the, you know, the sex revolution and um, the big pushes for feminism and, and everything else, it's like, well, it, it's almost as if they sold their their identities in for a sense of slavery in so many ways. And I mean, I'm sure. Um, I'm, I'm sure that many of you know people from that generation who got saved out of the sex and drugs and rock and roll scene. They got saved out of um, so many different uh, cultures of experimentation, whether it was with psychedelics or whether it was with other religions. Um, and, and I think that that's interesting because slaves back in the day, because they didn't know how to write, the only way that they could sign their name was with an X. Um, and so what I, what I see, what I would love to see is Generation X not be Generation X anymore. Not in the sense of like, well, they're not a part of that generation, but they give up the X for a greater sense of identity in Christ. And then with my generation, the millennials, Generation Y, if you will, we go to school, we have the internet, we have so many different things. We know how to ask the question why, but we're never satisfied with the answer. Um, even if it's the right answer, because our feelings override what is actually true a lot of times. Like, I, I can't tell you how many people I talk to a part of the Y generation that just don't want to listen to reason at all, don't want to listen to wisdom, um, don't want to know the truth. And, and what I would love to see is Generation Y uh, <laughs> stop asking why and learn to be satisfied in the Lord and trust in Him before anything else. Um, now, Generation Z, I'm not going to get into because I don't know enough about that yet. So I'm not going to throw out any metaphors for that today. <laughs> um, but nothing, nothing will give us our identity, our true identity, except the Father and what He says about us. Um, in fact, the Hebrew word for, for Father, Ab, it's literally, if you're looking at a Strong's Concordance, it's H1. It is the first word in the Strong's Concordance for the Hebrew. And it literally means the foundation. Um, it's not just dad. It's not just daddy. It is the foundation of a family, the source of a family. Um, and so we find that we have, we, we gain our identity from him. There are a lot of Bible verses about what our identity is in Christ. But I'm going to challenge you. I'm not going to give you any of them because it's not my job to tell you who you are. It's the father's job to tell you who you are. You're supposed to gain your identity from him. So I want to challenge you guys. Um, this week, uh, that hopefully next week when we come back and we share testimonies, we all get to share a testimony about how God spoke to us and told us who we were. What part of our identities did we need to hear this, this, this over this next week? What encouraged us the most and what brought us closer to Him? That's what I want to encourage you guys to, that's your homework for the next week, right? Um, so that's the first benefit. The second benefit of knowing the Father is, knowing that you have a home in heaven. Um, which, is, which is great. Um, but I think more important than that too is knowing that you have a home in new heaven and new earth, right? Um, so we've mentioned this before and I know again, I'm probably gonna sound like a broken record. It's gonna be really repetitive tonight, but I want us to get this. This is so important to who we are and what we're doing. Um, what makes a home? A father makes a home. Being with him is our true home. God is home in the same way that God is love. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If we look at Ephesians 2, um, verses 4 through 6, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love, with which He loved us, 
even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Um, I think that this verse is awesome because it's one of those verses, the kingdom uh, is very much so um, now and not yet, right? There's a lot of things that we have access to, and there are a lot of promises that we have access to, but the full fulfillment of those promises are not yet, right? We won't see them until the end. And this is one of those promises. Right now, in this moment, this verse is saying that we are seated in heavenly, price, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus spiritually. We already have a home in heaven. We are already, our spirits are already there. It's connected there. We are a gateway to heaven, right? We get to be that gateway to other people, um, but we are not quite physically in heaven yet, right? And now and not yet. Um, another thing that's really amazing is that Jesus in the gospel said that, uh, when I leave, I go to make a home for you, a place for you in my father's mansion. Um, which I think is really awesome. Um, again, it's just him building a place for us. You know, uh, it, it, it's funny how much God's love is such a two way street and how much, um, our free will comes into play in a lot of things because God gives us the command to build a home for him here while he's building a home for us there, right? It's this mutual love co-laboring thing. Um, and I love that. I think that that's awesome. So uh, the third thing, the third benefit is a sense of total security. Um, so let's go to Matthew 10. We read this verse last week, but we're going to read it again because I think it's really important. Um, Flippy, flippy, floppy, flippy. Through the Bible. Um, so with this sense of total security, we know that we're completely taken care of. When I say total security, I don't mean that we, I don't mean once saved, always saved. Um, if you believe that, that's okay. If you want to debate that, debate that later, we can. It'll be nice and friendly. I promise I've gotten friendly about it. Um, but I am not a Calvinist, so I don't, I don't believe in that sense of, of total security. Um, what I mean is in this life, we know because we trust the father that he is going to take care of us no matter what, um, as long as we stay with him. So if we look at Matthew 10, um, verse 29, let's see. Yeah, let's start in verse 29. It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground without your father? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You are more valuable than the sparrows. Um, I love this verse because sparrows are worthless. The Jews bought sparrows for pennies. This is what poor Jewish people bought in order to make sacrifice if they could not buy the good stuff or if they could not like farm the good stuff because they were farming community, right? This is this this was worthless, but it was like it was like the last thing that they could get away with sacrificing before the Lord. Um they're sold for a penny. I mean, American pennies are 
really cheap now. I mean, we, we don't even blink an eye when we get a penny. Like most people my age are in generation Y, they don't save pennies anymore. They don't think about saving coins. Um, which is weird because I still have piggy banks at my house full of change, but, but sparrows were worthless. And yet the thing that was worthless and that nobody seemed to care about, God paid attention to. God said that not one of these sparrows falls and dies without him seeing it and knowing that it is falling and dying. It, they, he supplies them food. If you look elsewhere, um, Luke 12, uh, in comparison, you know, to this section of scripture talks about, you know, how can you add a cubit to your height by worrying? God takes care of the sparrows. He's going to take care of you. My friend Savannah loves that section of verses because she's like five one. And if you know who she was in the past, she was like the biggest warrior. And she attributes to her, she attributes her shortness to being the biggest warrior. You know, like she can't, <laughs> she can't get around it now because she spent so long worrying without God. Um, and I, I think that that's, I think that that's really funny. Like, um, that we, we can spend so much time worrying because we don't realize that the father is taking care of us, that we're secure in his arms. Um, I've been reread, well, not rereading. Um, so we'll, I'll throw out another testimony real quick. Last week while I was on vacation, I saw that Michael Brown was releasing, re-releasing his book as a second edition, Compassionate Father or Consuming Fire. And I thought, man, it would be awesome to have that book. Uh, and I actually found out that he was doing it because he released a picture on Facebook of him signing copies. I was like, man, wouldn't it be great to have a signed copy of that book? Cause I'm just a theology nerd and that's what I want. Um, and so I bought the book while I was on vacation. It came to my house yesterday. I was super stoked. Uh, and I was, and immediately I was like, Kate, I bought this book and he's signing it. Wouldn't it be awesome if he sent me a signed copy? And like, literally, as I said that, my phone went off and it was from his organization asking if they, if, if I wanted him to sign it for me. And I was like, yes. You know, they were like, it, the exact message says, do you want a personalized message or just for him to sign it? And I was so excited. I didn't even read the personal message part. All I just said was, yes, please. And thank you. And that was it. And so I got the book. It's been awesome. He's really challenged me on some ideas about Job and what happens in Job, um, which is why I bring this up. One, because he cares. I'm totally secure in his arms. But two, um, Job was also secure in the father's arms. When you read the beginning of Job, he was, he was perfect. He was sinless. There, there was no blemish in him. And it wasn't until after Satan took everything away besides his life that Job's downward spiral begins to start. But it doesn't start for a long time. Um, and even then, at the end, God still takes care of him and accounts Job as being someone who's righteous and tells him to pray for his friends. And God straight up tells his friends, hey, I'm not going to listen to anything you say in your prayer. You guys blaspheme me. I'm not about it. If you have Job pray for you, though, I'll answer his prayers for you, um, which I think is really funny. Job, Job's character and his love for the Lord and his commitment to the Lord helped him stay secure uh, because he knew, knew God's character. He spent his entire life making sacrifices to God and, and loving the Lord. He was, he was firmly convinced of God's character, even in the moments where he did slip up. And his slipping up wasn't in the sense of like sinning on purpose. It was sinning because he was questioning, looking for answers. Um, which is another, like, again, I, 
I've just been really challenged with a lot of things lately and, and I'll, I'll ramble. So I'm going to try to, to pull it back in. Um, but, but what I want us to know is that in, in Job's life, um, there's a Bible verse in, in Proverbs that says a curse in the King James, it says a curse does not come causeless. Um, but as you read, uh, more accurate translations, the Bible, the verse actually says, a curse does not come and rest causelessly. So it says that the verse, the curse might come and try to find a place of rest. But in our righteousness and in our trust in God, in our faith in Him, it will not find a place to rest because we know that we are totally secure in His arms. We have that faith that no matter what, He's pulling us through, He's leading us through it. And that it's not going to stay. He is our great healer in every area of life. Because in, in Jewish tradition, uh, Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, doesn't just mean healing the physical body. It means the entire being of a person. Right. right? And so that is our total security. Is knowing that no matter what comes our way, because the curse will try to come. Satan is a tempter, right? He's going to try to get us to fall for the tricks. It will not find a place to rest on us. In fact, if we're living life correctly, it's the Holy Spirit who comes to find a place of rest upon us, right? So, um, if we go to John 10, verse 29. Just to drive this point home a little bit more. Jesus is saying, he's praying to the Father, and he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. Mm-hmm. So again, we are, we are secure in our Father's hands. And in Ephesians 1.3, it says that we have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places. Again, that, that, that uh, now but not yet attitude, right? Um. The fourth benefit to knowing God as Father is that we have a motivation for serving. It provides knowing God as a Father provides motivation for serving. If we do not know, if we are not serving, if we aren't willing to be servants, it's probably because we do not know who our Father is. Um, what, what do I mean by that? Uh, what I mean by that is when we look at our parents, if we had good parents, um, or at least I won't, I won't say good because that term can be kind of relative to some people. Um, if we have parents that loved us, we see that they spent their lives as we were growing up serving us and trying to make sure that we were deeply cared for um, in whatever way they knew how. It doesn't mean that it's the, it was the right way. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it was a good way. But they were trying. And when we look at the Father, we see that He provides us with every blessing in the heavenly places, right? We just read that verse. Natural progression. If He's providing for us, He blesses us in order to be a blessing to others. Um, and if we aren't using the things that we have been blessed with in order to bless the people around us, then we do not understand the love of God. In 1 John, it says, how can we love, or how can we say that we love God if we do not love the person in front of us? How can we say that we love an invisible God if we do not love 
a visible person in front of us. Um, we don't want to grow in our faith with a spirit of entitlement because we sing and say that Jesus paid it all, so I get everything that he deserved. Um, if we focus too much, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to word this correctly so that I'm like not sounding like a heretic. If we focus too much on grace in this in a way that makes us feel entitled to whatever we want or to whatever blessing the Bible promises us, then we fall into a spirit of pride and we will never inherit any of it. Um, and the only way to keep us in the middle, in, in the zone that God wants us, is to stay close to the Father because a Father provides discipline. And without that discipline, we will never know how to steward the blessings that He wants to give us. Does that make sense? That, did I say that correctly? All right, cool. Awesome. Sweet. Um, you know, uh, so, so part of serving is, is, is knowing what it's like to be corrected because when we're servants, we're not looking, uh, necessarily to feel good about what we're doing. We're looking to please our master. And if, and if what we're doing doesn't please our master, um, whether that's the people, I mean, ultimately it's God, right? But, but in the sense of serving the people around us, in the sense of serving the community, if, if what we're doing, um, is not the right thing to be doing, then we want to know because we want that heart of a servant. And when we're serving the Father and we're staying connected to Him, we're listening to His voice, then we are, we are willingly opening ourselves up to the discipline that He wants to give us, to the chastisement that He wants to give us. In Hebrews, it says that we should welcome that chastisement because if He does not chastise us, if He doesn't discipline us, if He doesn't correct us, then He does not love us. We want that correction because it's, it's a sign that he loves us, right? That, that, that we're his children and that he's, he's giving us something to steward. Um, and if we're running away from that chastisement, then we obviously haven't really surrendered or come to terms with the first benefit that God gives us. And that's a sense of identity. Um, because through that chastisement, it builds our identity and we grow in that more and more, right? Um, but let's talk about serving for a second. In James 1.27, it says that an undefiled relationship with God results in a heart for widows, orphans, and a heart towards righteous living and holy standards. Um, God's first ministry is to the poor, to the orphans, and the fatherless, which is a big deal. When we talk about this community, we, you know, we've been talking a lot about that, Butch and and Kate and Danny and I had a meeting with the directors of Youth Life today to talk about that and our hearts to serve, specifically me speaking up and, and us being the spiritual covering um, for Youth Life here and at Delmont is figuring out how we can serve the young men in the community because so many of them grew up without, fa without fathers. Danny was telling me that out of all the kids that come to, the, to Youth Life at Delmont, there's only one father that he has met in the actual building, and that father isn't even really a part of his son's life. In fact, the son is mostly raised by his grandmother, but the grandmother's on vacation this week, so and they need to meet with somebody. So the father begrudgingly said that he would come and meet with them this week. Um, and that's a huge deal, 
right? So we want to be able to serve the orphans. Um, the other thing, too, is, is serving the poor. God's first ministry, when we look at Isaiah 61, His first ministry there is to the poor. Um, and if we're neglecting the poor, then we're, 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 we're missing out on the heart of God. Um, and then, of course, to the widows. Again, if, if there's an issue of fatherlessness in this community, then there's obviously an issue of widows uh, and women looking to, to find some sort of spiritual covering from, from a man who will take them in, you know. Um, so we need to be aware of that. We need to be ready to serve and, and be a part of, of these people's lives and see what they need and see, see what we can be doing for them. Um, let's go to John eight twenty nine, real quick. John eight twenty nine says that he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone for I always do things that please him. Uh, so Jesus in this verse says that the father never leaves him. Abba never leaves him because Jesus always does the things that pleases him. I want to be able to say that I'm that way. I don't know if I am at the moment, but I also know and believe that the father will never leave me and never forsake me. And he's given me grace because I'm a baby. <laughs> you know, I don't know if he ever stops looking at us as, as being toddlers in his eyes. And I don't know if he will until we reach the millennium, because this side of eternity is nothing but a training ground for what's to come. Right. This is a this is a blimp. This is a blink of an eye. Um, and so. I want to encourage us and challenge us not to feel like the Father leaves us when we mess up because I don't think that that is theologically correct. I don't think that that is true. He promises to never leave us and never forsake us in our sins, ever. Uh, and if we choose to leave Him, if, if, if we are going to walk away from our salvation, then it's, then it's just that. We're walking away from it. It's not because of anything He's done, right? Um, but he, he never leaves us and He never forsakes us. However, I would like to challenge us to live a life so committed to Him that we can say just as Jesus did, that He knows that the Father never leaves Him, not only because He promises never to leave Him, but because we are assured that we do the things that please Him. I want us to be able to reach the finish line at whatever point in time that is, whether that's tonight, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's a month from now, whether it's a year from now, whenever it's going to be, Right? God has our days numbered, and if we die prematurely, best believe we will be praying and there will be a resurrection. Um, I believe that, but I, what, I, what I want is for us to believe that when we get to that finish line, we're going to hear the things that Paul heard. Well done, my good and faithful servant, into your, into your master's rest. Right? Um, if we are truly set on serving the Father, we wouldn't care about our success because serving Him is what makes us successful. Um, pleasing the Father is the thing that makes us successful no matter how it looks in the natural. And if we could get this through our heads, then we wouldn't end up with all the envy and jealousy that so many people have. Success doesn't give us security. The Father does. Um, and I think that that's, I, I think that that's paramount because building a new church, building a new ministry, there are all kinds of things that we want to do, right? And we're restricted because, well, 
we're still building, we're still gaining the trust of the community. We don't always have the resources. I mean, you name the things. Um, and there are plenty of other successful churches out there. Uh, and God's looking for us to bless them and say, you know, thank God for them and not fall into envy and jealousy over what they have. Um, and that's, that's a big deal. So um, the fifth thing that I want to touch on is when we have a relationship with the Father, then we have a rich prayer life. Um, you know, not that we can't have a rich prayer life with Jesus when we're just talking to Jesus or if we're just talking to the Holy Spirit. But with the Father, things are different because our prayers are answered. We have faith that they're going to be answered because we're talking to the Father. Uh, nowhere in Scripture does it say that Jesus will ever answer any of our prayers. It says He'll intercede for us before the Father, but there's no guarantee that there's an answer to prayer there. And nowhere does it say that the Holy Spirit answers our prayers. It says that the Holy Spirit will pray for us when we do not know how to pray, which is great, um, especially when it comes to being able to pray in tongues because, man, when I don't know what to pray, I pray in tongues. Holy Spirit's praying for me, man. And, and when it comes to 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where it says to pray without ceasing, I don't know about you guys, but there's only so much I can talk to God about in my day. So I just start praying in tongues again, you know, <laughs> like perfect, perfect. But when it comes to the idea of actually having prayer answered and your prayer life being rich and fulfilling, that's what we're looking for. Um, because if there's no reward in prayer, then it becomes boring. And if there's no, um, if there's no stretching or excitement in prayer, then we end up not thinking that it's worth it. I mean, I've been in those stages of my life. Um, I think that to some degree, we, we all go through some of those stages when we fail to realize that prayer is about that communion and that opportunity and setting that side of time to talk to our Father about what's going on in our lives. Um, and the amazing thing is that, is that he already knows, but he wants the invitation. You know, he, he sees everything that's happening all the time, but he loves us enough to come to us and poke at us and say, hey, how was your day? Well, don't you already know? Yeah, but I want to hear about it. You know, um, when Oliver... I mean, Oliver can't talk yet, but there are times where he, I, I'm, I just watch him and he just does the goofiest things, right? And, and then he'll bring me a toy as if it's the first time that I've ever seen it. And he doesn't realize that, like, I gave him the toy. <laughs> like, I was the one who gave it to him, right? Um, but he looks at me and, and it's like, you know, that excitement of, of coming to me as his father and being like, look at this thing. I know you gave me this thing. I know you see this thing, but look at this thing. That's the heart that I want to have when I go to Abba. Um, because life should be exciting. We shouldn't be bored with what we're doing as Christians. I love what Todd White says. Christianity is a full contact sport. If you're not getting hit, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Right? Like, um, so... Our prayer life, um, it's so important. It's so important. We, we see, uh, it's so important that we, we only see Jesus touch the Torah a handful of times in the Gospels. 
It's very rare. You can count it on one hand. But you see Jesus praying all the time. Um, he was in constant communion with the Father. And, and, and I think it's because there's this life-giving fullness that comes with it, that, with com- with, that comes with having a rich prayer life. Um, in John 16, let's go there real quick. Uh, verses 23 through 24, Jesus is in this little dissertation. I, I love the fact that Jesus being the word of God is like walking Proverbs. So he gives these long just sermons all the time, but you can break down each sermon and it's like every one or two lines is this whole, whole other source of wisdom that you just sit on for forever. Um, so in this section, he's talking about leaving. He's talking about where he's going. Um, he's talking about the work of the Spirit. And in this, he's, in, in his leaving, he says, On the day that I leave, you will ask me nothing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Um, I love that. I love that because Jesus is saying that when we ask the Father in His name, the Father delights in giving us what we ask for because He wants to make sure that our joy is made full. When we think about um, the desires of our hearts and hope being a tree of life in our hearts, but hope deferred makes the heart sick, um, what's interesting is the word desire, when you break it down, is D, which means from, and sire, which means fathered, right? So even when it comes to our desires, our desires are only met when we're having that relationship with the Father. They're birthed from that intimacy with the Father. And, and when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to the things that we're asking for, that we're seeking for, um, we go to the Father. He wants to make sure that our joy is made filled because we're His kids. He loves us. Right? It's all because he's compassionate and merciful and slow to anger, right? But also just and visits the iniquity upon those who hate him to the third and the fourth generation. Like, but that's the second half of that verse in Exodus that we'll get to eventually. That first verse, that first verse is what we're looking for and is what our lives are going to be when we live a life of obedience to him and in relationship to him. And even though obedience comes before sacrifice, obedience without love means nothing. And so we're looking for that compassionate love relationship first so that we are built, we're building a life of obedience afterwards. Right? So, um, and then the final thing that, uh, that I want to touch on tonight, and this is just, I think that this is so important to us as a new church, as a new church community, what we're praying for, what we're going after. <clears throat> In my mind, I mean, everything on this list is very important, but in my mind, this is probably the second thing that I would say that I feel like the Lord is really saying to us right now as we're, as we're figuring out where to go and as we're figuring things out, as we're getting the word out about who we are. The sixth thing, the sixth benefit of knowing God as Father is that we gain a sense of calling and assignment. Um, like I said before, it's the Father that gives us the desires of our hearts because He is the one who put them there in the first place. He cares a great deal 
about what we are called to become and what he assigns us to do. And oftentimes we find our assignment through our desires. If we can't figure out what our desires are and line up our priorities, then we are going to have a really hard time finding out what our assignment from God is. And the way that we find out our assignment from God is by first finding our calling from God. I'll make this really easy. Our calling is the same. All of us have the same exact calling. um, And that's to be like Jesus. We are called to be like Jesus. We are called to look like Jesus. We are already made in His image and likeness. So it makes it really easy in order to look like Jesus in the long run. We just, we're getting sanctified, right? But it says in, um, let's go to 1 Peter 2, 21. Jumping around the scriptures. Um, So it says, For to this you were called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. We are called to look like Jesus. At the end of the day, uh, Randy Martinez from MAPS and Rye Hop says, uh, if I can quote him without butchering it, says, at the end of the day, you can take this to the bank. You're called to look like Jesus. That is your one and only calling in this life. However, our assignment is not our calling and our assignment changes in the season that we're in. But with, if we do not know who we are, what we are called to be, who we are called to look like, then oftentimes we will miss our assignment because we make our life about us. Our life isn't about us. It's about looking like Jesus and it's about loving the people in front of us. If we make our life about us, then we miss our assignment. We just do because we fall into pride, we fall into self-pity, envy, comparison. We're missing the very things that God wants to give us because we're too self-focused. So we're saying that is, if I miss my calling, then no way am I going to get to the assignment. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If we, if we do not get this aspect of our calling to look like Jesus, then we miss our assignment. And, and, and it changes in the season that we're in. Um, our calling never changes. Our calling is always to look like Jesus, no matter where we're at, no matter who we're in front of, no matter what community we're in. We're always called to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Our assignment, though, changes. And as we go into Highland Park, because it is becoming more diverse, we already know that there are people here that we feel feel assigned to, that we are praying for all the time. We, we have uh, connections you know, to youth life, the families in youth life, uh, the people who come to taking it to the streets, the people that are constantly in and out of the the thrift store. We have so many people here that we feel assigned to. Um, and that's great. But those assignments will change as the people in the community change, as long as we still are assigned to this community. Excuse me. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with the assignment changing and we can't fight that current um, because it will not bode well for us in the long run. Um, Elijah fought that current when he ran away. He had a job to do. He had an assignment. He didn't 
like it, got scared, ran away from Jezebel. And because of that, God said, all right, you're done. Anoint your successor and he'll take care of the rest. Right? And then he started mentoring Elisha. Um, so what I, what I want to see us do as a church family is not back down like Elijah while still training successors like he did so that they have a double portion. Because if we do our assignment well, our ceiling becomes the starting point for the next individual that comes after us. Um, and we get to let them do things. If we train them well, then we train them up in the way that they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it, right? Um, but if we train them well and we help them in their sense of identity, who God is calling them to be, then when they do things slightly differently than us, we still have faith in what God is doing and we don't question it and we don't criticize them and tear them down because it looks different than how we would have, right? So um, those are six things, six benefits, six, six rewards to knowing the Father, six things that I think are important to us in this season that we are moving into. Um, and next week we'll continue on with with getting personal and meeting the Father and what that looks like. But uh, yeah, so these, our, our homework for the next week is the same as the last time that we got together and that is spend quality time with the Father one-on-one. -on -one. See what He says about you. See what He's telling you. See how He's leading you. See how He's guiding you. Daily, take the time. Um, whatever that looks like, whether it's reading the Word and asking Him about it, whether it's, um, which involves prayer too, whether it's just sitting in prayer, um, whether it's worship, uh, whatever it may be, you know, we want to get to that point to where we hear His voice in the silence because that's very important. That's where, and then that's where I get recharged. But, but my hope is that, especially with so many of the different faces that we meet here in Highland Park, my hope is that we become so intimate with the Father that when we're out in the chaos, we still hear His voice. Because I know a lot of Christians that can hear God in the silence and they need the room to be completely silent to get the prophetic word. But I think that there's a more excellent way and I think that God has more for us. And so when we're out in the chaos and things are going crazy, um, you know, whether that's the type of chaos of we're just out of taking it to the streets and it's loud and the kids are running around and they're playing, they're shooting hoops in the back, whatever, and we're having trouble focusing or, you know, whether it's something bad happens because of a drug deal gone wrong down the street and somebody pulls out a gun and we're trying to get people to safety. We hear the Father so clearly that we carry that sense of security and identity and knowing who we are so that we can be His spokespeople as His priests. Does that make sense? All right, cool. So I'm going to pray. We're going to end it because I know the kids are getting antsy and Oliver's got an 8.30 bedtime, so we need to get out of here. Uh, Abba, again, we come before you. We thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for all that you're, you've done, all that you're doing, how you're knitting us together. I thank you that the vision of this church is to build a family, first and foremost, is to build the family of God, to build the kingdom of God, to know you as a good and loving father, one who is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger. Um, you're not easily provoked or jealous, um, and you're just. 
and righteous. And we just thank you for that. We thank you that we have an identity with you. We thank you that we have a calling and assignment with you. We thank you that you provide for us, that you give us a sense of motivation for serving, that you give us a home, that you give us total security um, and a rich prayer life. You, you're always listening. You're never a father that turns your ear away from your kids. You're always listening and you, you give us your full attention. Um, so we thank you that, that that is who you are. That is your character. That is, that is, you're the best father that there ever could be, that there ever was, is, is to come. <laughs> um, we just ask that you continue to invite us into that relationship. And, and we ask for the strength and the courage to accept that invitation and to go deeper with you, um, to, to have you, uh, and have your Holy Spirit continue to build on what you've already given us. And we invite you, we invite your discipline. We invite, invite your chastisement. If there are foundations in our life that are rotted and need to be pulled up, then we invite you to pull them up. Um, if there are things that need to be corrected, we invite you to correct us. We love you. We love your word. We love your correction. And we love what you do. We just want to partner with you. We want to partner with your kingdom. We want to build your kingdom here in the now, um, but not yet, um, because you are good and you're holy and you're perfect. And your son is, is the lamb that is worthy to open the scroll. Um, and he died for a purpose, and we get to be part of that fulfillment. So we thank you for Highland Park. We ask for assignments here, divine assignments that we get to be um, walking uh, gates of heaven here in the community, that wherever we would go, heaven would follow, and mighty signs and wonders and miracles. We thank you for more opportunities to be in the community um, I just love the community better. We love you, Abba, and we give you all the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' holy name. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. We pray that you experienced the Holy Spirit in revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you've been impacted by our ministry and would like to make a financial contribution or you'd like to partner with us to reach the Highland Park community, visit us at www.myhpcc.net. We'll see you next time.